Russia has launched dozens of missiles this morning at targets across Ukraine. But Ukrainian officials say that it shot most of them down. Now, the Russians have also intensified shelling in the south, uh, re- the southern town of Kherson, recently liberated by Ukrainian forces. And joining us live now, CBS News military analyst Jeff McCausland. Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Can you... Can you tell us, is this, is this a sign that uh, support from the U.S. is, is getting through uh, to Ukraine at this point what's, what's, with them able to shoot down these uh, missiles? Well, certainly the United States has contributed with, with uh, some air defense systems we have provided. Them. That being said, the Patriot missile system, which was recently announced that we would provide Ukraine, which is the most advanced air defense system we have, will not actually arrive in Ukraine for many months, simply because we've got to train Ukrainian crews on how to operate. So unfortunately, that will not be in place until probably later in the springtime. But the Ukrainians have been successful using our air defense system, some of their own, as well as some they've gotten from other countries around the world, to to shoot down the majority of these ticker missiles and what was perhaps one of the largest missile assaults on Ukrainian cities since this war began. That being said, probably 20 percent or more got through. And in many cases, if you strike a missile, unfortunately, over a populated area, you destroy it. It doesn't hit its target, but then the debris comes down, and you may have collateral damage, striking you know apartment houses, homes, et cetera, et cetera. So damage does does occur, even in fact when the missile is shot down. Jeff, this attack on the uh, energy infrastructure and the water supply for Ukraine has been going on now for what seems to be months. How much of that infrastructure is still left working? Well, it's, it's a great question, Spike. I mean, there's no doubt about it that at any given time, a significant percentage of the Ukrainian power grid now is, is offline right now because it's a large-scale attack. Large portions of major cities, Kiev, Kharkiv, Lviv in the west, uh, are, Odessa are without power, and people are in the dark as winter now progresses. Ukrainians have been, I think, remarkably resilient in their ability to try to get this back up and running, but obviously of this steady onslaught, it is increasingly difficult. And part of our if you will, resupply to Ukraine now is not only weapons, but us and Europeans are providing them assistance in that particular repair as well. You know, I think one number might underscore the challenge the Ukrainians face and how difficult this is for them right now as winter comes on. That number is 7 million. That's what the U.N. reports, the number of children in Ukraine that are not, they're deprived on a regular basis of electricity, uh, again, as we go through the holidays and as we go into winter. So that being said, what what kind of action is being taken against Russia in the way of sanctions or any other activity to get them to stop this this attack that is affecting so many civilians? Well, massive economic sanctions have been imposed upon the Russians across the board in the last uh, few months, the or month, I'm sorry, uh, the, the EU has agreed to a price cap or that they will not buy any oil from Russia except at a particularly uh, much lower price. The Russians obviously have, have rejected that. There's all kinds of efforts to put the squeeze on the Russians in terms of their economy. And most economists would suggest to you that by studying this, that the GDP of the Russian Federation will probably drop 5 to 10 percent in the coming year. That being said, the reports that I hear coming out of Moscow or across Russia is, so far at least, the average Russian is not really feeling much pain in all this. The Russian government's been pretty successful in keeping the, the ruble afloat and uh, keeping you know goods on the shelves. But the average Russian does not necessarily feel the pain. Perhaps these particular recent, this large-scale strike over the last 24 hours, though, is in response to the fact that the Ukrainians have begun to strike targets in Russia itself and did conduct a, a drone attack 
against a large Russian air base only a few hundred miles from Moscow in the last couple of days. That particular base was one of the bases the Russians launched bombers from, which they then used to, to launch missiles on Ukrainian targets. So did that have a significant impact on the attack since it's been uh, picked, picked up the, the last 24 hours? Did that impact the Russian forces? It had some. I think the impact was much more psychological than it was physical. Uh, the Russians minimized it, said three people were killed, a couple uh, bombers were damaged, but it definitely didn't shut this particular base down uh, in that particular attack. But for the average Russian, the impact on the average Russian, suddenly for the war to arrive on Russian territory, it's obviously pretty difficult for the Russian government to um, to keep that information from the population. That has a particular, I think, much more uh, psychological impact upon them, that this war can reach out and touch them. Of course, the other way this is affecting Russians across the board is is the mobilization of manpower. And the Russian government has mobilized several hundred thousand additional conscripts that is giving a small bit of training to and then sending them off to the front. And so more and more of the Russian people, I think, are being affected by the fact that, frankly, body bags are coming back to the village and towns with the remains of the young men that they sent off to war who are, who are now returning. Some some uh, polls, as, as one can you know best determine the accuracy of them, suggest that support for the war across Russia has dropped by about 50 percent since June is now around 30 percent. But the government, again, has pretty tight control and has thrown in, in prison a significant number of people who have been you know outspoken in their opposition to the conflict. We're speaking with CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland. Jeff, initially we heard about the public's pushback against the government with regard to this war. We haven't heard anything about that in so long. And now that a new wave of ground forces will be sent into Ukraine, uh, does the Ukrainian defense have the ability to achieve anything close to the initial success they, they achieved early in this war to maybe take that, uh, that Russian perception of the war and the morale number even lower than it is today? It's possible. They, they would tell you, and they say pretty categorically, Mr. Zelensky said, I think, pretty clearly when he spoke to Congress a few days ago, that the Ukrainians now believe they've got the Russians on their back foot on the ground. We have really two wars, this war on the ground and the war in the air we spoke about a few moments ago. <clears throat> but they have them on their back foot right now and have been uh, reasserting control over a significant amount of territory. Ukrainians just in the last month <clears throat> recaptured the city of Kherson, which was the only provincial capital the Russians had captured uh, so far. But they have large shortages of, of particular things like ammunition, artillery ammunition is in short supply. And so they find it, I think, difficult at the moment to mount a major offensive absent a, a resupply, a large resupply of munitions from, from the West. I think as winter goes on and the ground hardens, we may see the Ukrainians trying to do that in a couple areas, either in the south, now near uh, Melitopol, or in the Donbass region in the southeast, if, in fact, they can gain the the weaponry that they so desperately need to begin that, and then with the ground being frozen, heavy armored vehicles can move much more much more easily than they can right now, where a lot of the areas are still pretty marshy and still pretty muddy. Can Ukraine hang on until the Patriot missile systems are in place and the the, the Ukrainians trained enough to use them? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I certainly think so. But it's no it's very clear at this moment that Mr. Putin's objective is to put Ukraine in the dark. And then the question is, can they continue to repair their electric power facilities, continue to shoot down a substantial portion of the missiles with the access they have right now um, before the Russians run out of missiles? And uh, many Ukrainian, uh, one of their senior intelligence guys uh, in an interview recently said that he believed that the Russians very soon are going to start running out of uh, running out of missiles. 
And that's why we have also reports of the Russians trying to acquire missiles from Iran, more drones from Iran, and ammunition from as far away places as uh, North Korea. The whole industrial base capacity, really, on both sides, the Russia's ability to acquire weaponry or produce it at home versus the Ukrainians' ability to do what they can in production as well as receive resupply in the West. That's really, I think, one of the key factors on how this war goes in the future and, frankly, how long it lasts. Uh, Jeff, I'm going to ask you to make a, this may be out of your field of expertise, but given the fact that the Congress is about to change hands to Republican control and there's been questions about the continued support of the war in Ukraine by Americans government under Republican Congress, um, is that going to have an impact on this crucial stage of this conflict with, with Ukraine needing both resupplies of, of munitions and assistance on maintaining their infrastructure of power and water? Well, it certainly could. There's no doubt about it. And then there's a lot of concern in Ukraine when I talk to Ukrainians that that could occur. I mean, one of the, there's no, it's very clear that one of the main reasons that, uh, Mr. Zelensky made a trip, you know, to come to Washington for only 10 hours was to thank the United States, take kind of victory a lap for what had occurred so far and then plead for more support. And it was stunning to me to watch that and see people on both sides of the aisle, people in both parties standing up and cheering Zelensky. Now, there were a certain number, particularly Republicans in the Congress, who sat it out, didn't show up, or just sat in their chairs and said nothing. That's true. Uh, but it, there seems to be wide, bipartisan support. And in the Republican Party, it's also interesting. The Senate seems to be ironclad in support. Mr. McConnell has been very outspoken and almost to the point of saying the United States should do more for Ukraine. In the House, obviously, as you suggest, very different. And it'll be interesting to see how this turns out. As Mr. McCarthy, who apparently is going to become speaker, is going to have a pretty unruly uh, Congress and, and certain members and has a very, very small majority of only four or five seats. So those few people have a much larger voice, I think, in some ways, because of that slim majority that Republicans will have. Outstanding, Jeff. Thank you so much. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland, we appreciate your time and your expertise on this. You have a safe day out there. Have a happy holiday. Thank you, too. Well, time for your daily dose of kindness now brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. A waitress in Wisconsin just received a very special Christmas Day tip. 29-year-old Callie Blue says she works at Gus's Diner every Christmas, and she likes making people's holiday bright with their food. But this year, she says, was something truly special because of one customer in particular. He was really sweet, just chit-chatted with me, got some new things, and before he left, he tipped me $1,000. $1,000, and the bill... Seventeen dollars. Uh, Callie tells WRAL TV in Raleigh that uh, she was simply shocked. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> no, it is so sweet. Oh my gosh. That customer was Michael Johnson. He's the president and CEO of a local boys and girls club. He says that the generous tip was all part of his annual mission to pay it forward. Uh, I was a kid who uh, didn't really. Uh, like the ho- uh, holidays because I grew up in the projects and my mother just didn't have much. And so it was a holiday that 
I struggled with. Some of the things Johnson's been doing to spread the holiday cheer around the community, delivering toys to more than 600 kids. He gifted a car to a family of five. He also has been taking families in need on holiday shopping trips. And he says he had some extra time to stop by Gus's Diner on Christmas Day to brighten Callie's Christmas in a big way. First, at first I thought it was a total joke. And then I realized it was real and I was I cried. It was it was shocking and I'm very thankful for it. Yes, Callie says Johnson made her Christmas very special. You bet. But more than that, she said it also changed her view of the world. And don't we need a little more of that? And that is your daily dose of kindness. Some of the best stuff on the radio. Thank you so much, Lisa. From the G and Ursula Show, weekdays, 9 to noon here at Cairo News Radio, the one, the only G. Scott, good morning, my friend. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Spike. Good morning, Miss Lisa Brooks. Good morning. So it's uh, it's year in review time yeah. for all entertainment. Wired has released its top 15 movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Features like Glass Onion, Nope, Everything, Everywhere, All the Time at Once, and of course, Top Gun Maverick. Did you see any of these movies this year? Top Gun Maverick was incredible. So much so, it pulled me into the movie theaters for the first time since pre-pandemic. Nice. And I thought, wow, it's back. I'm back going to theaters. That was an amazing experience. Yeah, at least I ain't been back since. Really? <laughs> Why I have not, not I'm been back since. I'm not interested. Me, there hasn't been a movie to make me want to go. It was like, no. oh, well, gee, you got to see Avatar. Now, well, you know... Avatar is doing all this. Like in the last two weeks, they've done over a billion dollars. A lot of sales. Here's what's interesting about Avatar. Um, I'm on social media a lot. I have not seen one person on social media get on there and say, whoa, you got to go see Avatar, the effects and the special effects. I mean, right. I remember tell you know, over 10 years ago, it was a wow. Oh, you know sure. what I mean? Yep. And so I just don't know what you would see then. Anyways. I want to go back to Tom Cruise. I think Tom Cruise, um, I used to have this opinion of Tom Cruise, like, okay. mm, Tom Cruise is a little bit different. Tom Cruise is a bad man. Like, yeah, like, yeah. like seriously, yeah. the thing that I love and respect about Tom Cruise is that every time I see his movies, I see effort. Every time I see him, I can say, this dude does everything, and he loves what he's doing. I respect Tom Cruise. And there's an element about Tom Cruise's movies. I hear that when you're working on a Tom Cruise movie, Mm -hmm. um, he raises the bar for everybody involved. There's an expectation of nothing short of excellence when you work on his film. Isn't that how it should be, though? Seriously. And that's why he's a movie star, Mm -hmm. I think. Should that be like like the top employee to every company or the person that's there that is the the, the pace setter, the tone setter, the person that makes everything go? Like, okay, that's our top person right there. That is a good example. That's when you have a good work culture. Well, enough about you. Um, (laughs) But that's how how I see you when I look at this building. You know I ain't a superstar. (laughs) To me, though, it seems that the best movies... Aren't making its way to the theater anymore. You know, the industry has has platformed out in so many different directions that you can find the best writers, the best directors, the best performers. Everything is happening on whether it's Netflix or, or whatever, Apple, whatever platform. The, the, the resources have been spread why. outside of Hollywood. I think I know why. Mm. Check this out. If you're listening right now and you guys, uh, I don't know if you watch Netflix. I don't know. I watch a lot of them. Yep. Okay. Let me ask you this. What would you rather watch? Would you rather watch a movie 
or a series? A series. See? Yep, Stop right no, there. Right, yep, oh, okay, yep, yep. okay. Here's where I'm going. So let's say that you're relaxing. You get to watch that movie. That movie is hour and 45 minutes. It's done. But that series, right, that explains the inst- story, that goes into the character development, mm-hmm. that makes you go back and you can say, okay, it starts here, but here's three years ago. And this is why this person is that way. The character development. So now, instead of having a movie you have a series of 8 to 10, and that's going to take you 8 to 10 hours. So I believe the reason why, another reason why the movie industry is struggling, because there's people that would rather be at home with the series. You catch a series on Friday after work, you're like, yo, what'd you do this weekend? Mm, nothing. <laughs> I got up to speed on Yellowstone. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. I binge watched this series, Lisa. And you feel like you really did something. Yeah. Right. And right. By the, can I plug a series that I is just Come finished? On, what do you got? Toby Fleischman is in trouble on Hulu. Is so good. Is it? Great writing. Amazing writing. I great need to, acting. I need to go back to that. I wasn't paying attention. And yeah. you used to only get that kind of production from Hollywood. Right. And nowadays, you get it right in your living room, at your convenience, on your timetable. And to your point about series, used to be if you loved a movie and you wanted to know more, two years from now, the next version will come, the next element yeah. of the series will come out. Now you can have it all right there in your living room on your schedule. And that's what the main thing, I think, is we want everything on our timetable. And we're, not, we're tired of waiting on Hollywood to tell us the stories we want to hear. They're out there right at our fingertips. What, what is your favorite type of series or movie, do you like you like drama? Do you like a crime drama? You like you like comedies, romance, action? You like stuff blowing up? If it ain't blowing up, it ain't any good. I don't like action as much as I used to. Yay! Um, I uh, don't. I don't. Uh, don't I, feel bad about the that. comedy. A lot, the a lot comedy, of directors are but, saying that Marvel isn't movies. The comedy from time to time, eh, you know, it's cool. Yeah. I want the drama, man. I want the, I want the suspense. Are you a crier? I. You, the older I've gotten, yeah. What's up? <laughs> Nobody told me. Who you, you, Spike? Why didn't you tell me the older you get? You said, what, what? <laughs> "It's the surprise." I wanted you to really, you know, realize yeah. for yourself. I cry at Rudy, and I know the ending. Oh, I still cry at Rudy. Yeah. I cry at everything. I cry at TV commercials. Yeah. I'm so, telling you everything. So yeah, um, I, I, I could I could say that uh, I really love you know the the, the the suspense, the crime, the uh, the, the drama, and all. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those are my so, so given all that we've realized about each other and ourselves mm-hmm. in the last couple of minutes, mm-hmm. and what Tom Cruise did for theaters this year, are theaters going to be able to make it as a, as a business model, as a way the American public consumes entertainment? No. I, I agreed with you. And, I, I think and, you're right. And I'll give you another example as to why I don't think it'll make it, because we don't have the patience or the time I'll give you an example. Lisa, right now, if I send you to your phone, if I send you a video and you look at that video and it comes to your phone and it's going to take you five minutes to watch that video, or if I send you a video that's going to take 15 seconds, which one are you going to watch first? 15 seconds. That's where we are. That's where we are. Absolutely. That's where we are. Like, five-minute video is like, I don't have time for this. No, well, I'm going to disagree on that because I, I don't watch – I almost watch no video on my phone. Okay. I need a bigger screen. I need to engage in it. I yeah, want to wait for the Star Wars connect on my phone. Yeah. But at this point, I will go to my iPad, which yeah. is big but, enough. But even on your iPad, even on your computer. 
Oh, you're right. You know what I mean? You're going to look at the 15 seconds. So that's what's happening. Uh, Melinda and Bellevue just asked, Lisa, what is the name of that Hulu series? Toby Fleischman is in trouble. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott, everybody. Nine (laughs) to 12. Cairo News Radio. Well done, my friend. Mickey Gomez, what is your favorite (laughs) type of movie? So I just watched uh, The Invitation yesterday on Netflix, and I think it's it's more like gothic romance. I nice, think that's what nice. I'm into right now. I just got done reading Mexican gothic, but yeah, I'm liking those uh, romance gothic movies, vampires, things like that. And I prefer movies over series. And it gets your heart and your mind thinking at the same time. Well done. It is 8.47, Cairo News Radio. I'm Spike O'Neill, in for Dave Ross. Lisa Brooks in for Colin O'Brien this week. And joining us now, because she's an expert where I I wish she really wasn't, Mickey Gomez, who survived (laughs) the holiday travel madness and joins us now to talk about her, I'm sorry to say, experience with lost luggage. Hi. Hey. Hey. (laughs) How are you? First off, we are so glad that you're home. Yeah. And we appreciate what you had to go through and your ability to and willingness to share that with this audience. So absolutely. I I understand your your baggage had a better trip than you did. You know, (laughs) actually, my baggage did. Uh, We were able to to get our baggage and and that was a great thing. And um, yeah, even though I'm I'm feeling a little under the weather today, uh, I'm happy to be back and happy to work. But uh, a lot of people I read this article this morning in The New York Times about how thousands upon thousands of people are making their destination, um, whether they're having to take a train or a bus, uh, but but their luggage got a flight. So that's good. What, what, do, they what, do, you, what do they need to know if their luggage so, is elsewhere? Absolutely. So the lost, lost luggage problem has has been exacerbated uh, this year by by the holiday season and just the airline industry being in survival mode. So what do you do if your luggage is lost or it's still at the airport? My suggestion is that if uh, if you're in this situation, act quickly. If your luggage does not arrive when you do, or if you arrive and your luggage doesn't, you need to notify the airport before you leave. Because if you leave the airport and you go home and you say, oh, I'm just going to call the airline later, trying to get in touch with the airline by phone has been very, very challenging. And, you know, when you check your luggage, you've got to keep that little sticky receipt. You've got to keep it on you. Keep it in your wallet. Do not lose it because that is how the airline can scan it and then find out, oh, your luggage is still in St. Louis. It didn't make it. Or, oh, your luggage is in the back somewhere. We'll have to notify you when we find it. I was wondering if they put that on your phone as part of if you're like boarding the plane, you know, with just your your app. And do they put that luggage tag on your it on your you ticket? email? You that's yeah. a great question. I don't know where that is anymore. I mean, when you get a when you print out your ticket and mm-hmm. they'll give it give it to you at the counter. But that most of us don't do that anymore. Right. We don't. And we really should. And uh, just as you know, as I was reading this New York Times article, they gave some really good advice on how to make sure you can track your luggage. Um, And now Apple has uh, Apple AirTag or there's a company that uh, has created this thing called a tile. You can actually place that inside your luggage. Make sure it's fully charged. Place it inside your luggage and it's going to monitor the bag for you. So when you arrive um, and you're like, where's my luggage? You know, you've been and I've been there before where you stand at the carousel and it's like you see all the same bags circling and you're like, where's mine? Um, If you have a tile or an Apple AirTag inside your luggage, you can actually track it. 
Um, and some airlines, including United, American, and Delta, offer baggage tracking capabilities for passengers. Um, all you got to do is use the mobile app or their website. Well, speaking of the baggage tracking, you had a situation uh, earlier this year, or was it last year, when you actually had a bag stolen? I did. I did have a bag allegedly stolen, reportedly stolen. They they couldn't find my bag. And Delta Airlines um, was perplexed. They're like, your bag made it to SeaTac. We just don't know where it's at. So what we're thinking is that, you know, um, somebody just either and I'm going to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they just thought, oh, that's my luggage. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to take it with me, which is another thing that this article from The New York Times uh, reported that if you're going to check in luggage make sure that you can identify your luggage take a picture of it um or make sure that you're that you've got something that's identifiable on your luggage like you can put your name on the luggage maybe even your phone number if you want to um or uh, we have this tag that we put on our luggage that says gomez so you know we're like oh there's our bag and the one thing um you shouldn't do is don't um because it's a very popular luggage bag don't use a black luggage bag to check in because that's so common and people will mistake that for their bag and walk off possibly with all of your goods. I remember my father-in-law took a trip to France and we bought him this beautiful set of new luggage to travel with and it was black. So when we picked him up to take him to the airport, here's this beautiful new set of luggage wrapped in yellow duct tape. It was not only oh, secure, it was completely identifiable. <laughs> and Mickey, right? should, should all this, this fiasco change the way companies handle luggage fees? I think that they should. I mean, we pay, you know, uh, $35 to $40 every time we have to check a bag. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that fee, all right, I understand it. Why, why haven't we upgraded the airline industry uh, baggage department? Because it seems so archaic. The baggage infrastructure just can't handle the amount of traveling that's going on right now. We just, we don't have enough people working in that industry uh, that, that are, in, you know, reportedly, according to this New York Times article, it's very archaic. If you go back underneath the airport and see where our luggage goes, I've seen videos and it's quite disturbing how our luggage is still handled and they really Really, really need to do an overhaul uh, personally. Also, just so you know, if, if you're not home, if, you, if you're in a destination that you were headed to and your luggage isn't there, make sure that you let the airline know that, um, listen, uh, I need to be able to buy deodorant. I need, I need a new toothbrush. So ask them for some kind of compensation. And if you can't get your bag back or if you're never able to, you know, attain your luggage again, just so you know, the compensation that a domestic airline can give you is up to $3,800 per bag. You're flying international and they lose your bag. The rules, the laws are a little different. I think the most a passenger can receive is about $1,800. You do have to fill out an itemized form of everything that you lost plus the price and turn it in. And then um, hopefully you can get some money back. For my luggage, it'd be worth $3,800. It'd have to be full of cash. That'd be the only way. <laughs> Mickey, thank you so much for all yes, this very useful very information. Welcome. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.